Hi folks, welcome to the Doppler Podcast, your source for news, views, and opinions from the ever-changing world of cloud computing. Our mission is simple, to help you navigate your career journey with best advice, tips, and techniques from those who found success in the cloud-first world. The podcast is brought to you by Cloud Technology Partners, an HP company. My name is Brad Loomis. And I'm Robert Christensen. Robert, how are you, my friend? I'm well, Brad. Good to talk with you again. It's been a little while. Yeah, it's been good. It's been good. Uh, we're going to forego our usual uh, jib-jab back and forth and uh, get right to our guests because I think we'll have uh, some Plenty. spirited conversation today. So fortunate I've been uh, lucky to know Brad uh, Parks over at Morpheus Data off and on and uh, throughout the years and uh, glad to have him finally on with us. So Brad, uh, why don't you give the folks a little background on who you are, what you are, and uh, what you do for Morpheus, and then uh, just a broad-level uh, brushstroke on what Morpheus data is. Sounds good. Great to be on with you guys. Um, I've been uh, around the CTP crew for a little while, partly because I had a, a past life over at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. But about two years ago, I went full startup and uh, am enjoying the heck out of that. Uh, today, I am running business development and go-to-market for a little but very rapidly growing company called Morpheus Data. Uh, the simple version of what we do, we help big, sometimes fat, sometimes slow established companies act more like itty-bitty startups. Uh, and a lot of that is revolving around multi-cloud automation and a lot of the things near and dear to uh, to your heart. Brad, Brad you know, so I want to say here, this is really funny. So uh, we have two Brads. So let's make sure we're clear, Mr. Loomis and Mr. Parks. I feel like we're part of the, the uh, you know, we're coming You're in the, the matrix. matrix. You're in the matrix. Come on. Our logo is literally blue and red. You yeah, can't get any Parks. better than that. Yeah, that's well, Mr. where our name comes from. If you didn't know. Yeah, well, I got that part. Yeah, so Mr. Parks, so uh, <laughs> Mr. Anderson, Mr. So, so, so you and I have had uh, some really lively conversations here, um, and you know the the for lack of a better word, this this layer or insulation that you're putting together around um, what it is to have a a connective tissue to the rest of the world is so important. And it took that personally, you know, I may not be the sharpest tool in the shed, but I was saying, hey, help me understand the value that people truly see when they bring uh, Morpheus in. And I'm not just doing this as a plug because I, I just see that the things that you guys are doing are really interesting. Can you talk, can you walk the, the audience through what that, what the, your problem you're trying to solve? Yeah, for sure. And I don't think it even has to be Morpheus specific. Right. I'm obviously biased on the solution space. But I think the, the problem domain is really boils, boils down to the fact that simple always wins. Mm -hmm. <laughs> As a general rule, if you look across industries, technology segments, you know, value propositions, simplicity is a, a common denominator of, of success. However, it takes a lot of work sometimes to make things simple. Look at the success, wild success of, of our public cloud friends, right? They spent a heck of a lot of engineering and PhD dollars making infrastructure as a service, platform, service delivery incredibly fast, incredibly <clears throat> simple. For the on-premises world, however, the, the number of tools, people, processes, technology stacks that you have to navigate to effectively get to the same end result is, is extremely complex. 
our goal and the goal of any orchestration and automation tool in this hybrid multi-cloud world should be to uh, arrive at the simplest path to uh, to get the job done. And the job in this case is for development teams, business teams to provision new application stacks very quickly and easily without having to care about the hundreds of steps and dozens of technologies involved behind the scenes. Right. And so so there's a bit of a, of a how do you swim in the ecosystem? So uh, that's really important. Many, uh, when I, I, I use the, the acronym ITO, these are the IT operational teams that are chartered to um, protect and run, protect the client's data, the company data, as well as to run applications at a certain set of SLAs for on behalf of the business units or the people who own the applications. There are ITO services that surround that, that help keep things safe, they monitor, they manage. Those are the behaviors that you're talking about. Is that correct? Uh, only uh, partly. Yeah, partly. I think okay. it's a piece, and I'd, I'd be curious to get your your and Brad's take from because you kind of public cloud native coming in, and and, and I'm maybe traditionally on prem headed out, and we're we're all meeting in the middle. Yeah. What we see is is ITO to your point. Their job is you know protect and serve, command and control. You know it's about SLAs uh, and managing risk to a large large degree, risk and cost, a big yeah. piece of their of their world traditionally. I think over the last five plus years, um, what we've seen and what you know, CTP was knee deep in was shifting from an optic probably of, of, of risk to agility and speed. And that's yes. where ITO is only half of the equation. Uh, the dev, dev teams and the kind of new kids on the block really pushing the agenda of business differentiation are kind of challenging that. And that's where a lot of the friction lies in the the hybrid IT world. How do you do both? Uh, manage risk and manage SLAs while at the same time drive a level of agility that wasn't there before. So the complexity that you're talking about then here, at least in the context of that response, is uh, as, you, as you pivot over and you're talking from the developer's point of view and the vast proliferation of many different um, uh, methodologies for deploying code. Um, is, is, am, I, am I nailing it down further? Because there, there's probably for every, you know, I would call it almost religion, right, that's out there and how do you release and develop code. There's probably some group out there that has already adopted it and made it permanent with inside an organization. <laughs> yeah, there's developing and deploying code and, and as a big part of that is actually standing up the application infrastructure that that code okay. is going to reside on. That's yep. really where the, the friction hits ahead. That's um, correct. The, you know, DevOps as a, as an ethos, as a cultural shift, is over a decade old, but the the gap between dev and ops is still alive and well, and and really the rub is is right there. You can do, you know, real deployment cycles, automated testing, deploys per day on the dev side, but if if you're having three week release planning cycle meetings with the ops side of that equation, you're only as fast as your slowest part, and you're still taking three weeks to get anything done. And, and oh, yeah, so we're right back. That's to the where Phoenix a lot project, of the, the challenges. Right. Oh, yeah, we're goodness. right back to the Phoenix project. Yeah. So <laughs> yes. You know, yeah. Where, yeah. Where's the bottleneck? You could think of uh, Morpheus or of orchestration automation as, uh, you know, the elimination of Brent, right? That, that's, yes. He was the guy. <laughs> he was the guy. Yes, he was. So, yeah, I, I, I have to say so. So, Morpheus has found itself then in some very interesting places. Um, 
having an opinion or orchestrating an opinion on how to to, to smooth out that flow and to accelerate that. Is that correct? Yeah, and not to be a centrist, we're both opinionated and opinionless, and I'll maybe I'll, I'll dig into that. We're opinionated in so much as you cannot force process change on people. To your point, there's loads of tools. Everyone's got their CI/CD pipeline, their tool chain, their way of doing things. And we see, and kind of where we got our history was jumping into environments where you need to make existing tools and processes much more quickly versus spending time forcing some net new, you know, magical process on people. So where we're opinionated is you have to go with the flow and not in a passive way, but you have to uh, almost act like self-leveling cement. Uh, that analogy makes sense, right? Every organization has, you know, ridges and, you know, gaps and tools. If, if you can abstract and pull those pieces together, you have some hope of frictionless application delivery, which is the, the nirvana state people are trying to get to, whether it's on-prem or in the public cloud. So before we uh, get to nirvana, Brad, uh, from your point of view, right, typically in these organizations, there are a lot of, uh, let's say, hard edges that need rounding. What are some of those uh, harder <laughs> edges that you folks have run into and have uh, had to not necessarily use the self-leveling cement, but take out the jackhammer to, <laughs> to uh, adjust you got, I think you guys will appreciate this from the consultative background. Sometimes the hardest edges are the, the people and process edges, uh, not the tools and technology, right? You, it's, uh, you know, as a tool vendor, sure, at the end of the day, I, you know, I, I talk tools a lot, but we see uh, in the kind of global 2000 that we're often engaged in, people and process and tool hugging is almost as much, if not more of a problem than the underpinning technology. And, and that kind of leads back to that opinionated view I, I just mentioned. You have to be able to let those hard edges, you know, stay in their corner a little bit if, if, they're, they're, if they really need to, but, you know, provide them the buffer to, to actually work more effectively with other parts of the organization. And, uh, and we do that through, through abstraction, through a very broad-based approach to integrating various technologies. Um, yeah, that's where the non-opinionated way comes in, right? Do it the way yeah. you want to do it, but let's just make sure everything's talking to everything else. Um, and it's one of the, I think, fallacies of the software-defined data center or software-defined is, you know, these big organizations have a dozen software-defined things glued together by by human middleware, right? And that's that's that last mile of automation is how to how to eliminate that piece. Well, and emitting uh, is probably half the battle as well. What are some of the symptoms that you've seen uh, from a people and process point of view saying, hey, uh, there's a hard edge coming up. Uh, we'll have to adapt or uh, deal with it accordingly. Is there a certain set of traits or symptoms that you've seen uh, repeatedly in your folks' uh, sales motion to say, hey, we'd rather swim with this one than swim against it? Yeah, when, when we look at kind of this market and, and the, the cloud journey, right? Everyone talks about the journey at some degree in any cloud conversation. We kind of see three big entry points. Um, some are, some organizations are a little more on the, the ops side of the spectrum. Some are a little more dev-led and, and understanding where uh, our customers are in their maturity has a lot to lead to the entry point into that conversation. 
You know, if they're still very ops centric, we may be engaging around, you know, visibility, right sizing, cost, governance, kind of those base level hierarchy of needs for the ops guys. Um, if it's a more dev centric organization, we may be talking infrastructure as code. You know, what do you do with Terraform? Can you ingest my CloudFormation templates? A very different set of conversations. So first, having some situational self-awareness of where you, know, you, Mr. Customer, as an organization are on that journey and where you're trying to get is, is, is step one. So, so Brad, I, one of the things I think is um, really useful is, is who is the primary um, consumer of a mature Morpheus platform? I mean, is there mm -hmm. a, a, an entry point console? Is there a CLI? Do you have a, a REST set of APIs that you execute? I guess the answer is yes to all three. Okay, but um, how does, is it a developer that says launch or is it an ops person that launches? You know, where does this all kind of start? What's the first domino? Sure. Um, if I carry on that analogy of the spectrum, right, dev-centric yeah. versus ops-centric, where we've seen kind of projects fall down, um, you know, sometimes we come in and, and organizations have already been going at it for a while. I feel like homes on homes sometimes, you know, with home repair, right, helping them to figure right. out what, what didn't go right, is if, if a project is over-biased in one direction towards either ops or dev, um, they tend to fall apart when they go into production and they hit mainstream because you're not meeting the, the base level needs of those two constituents. So an ideal Morpheus deployment, to your point, is, um, is where you're treating both as first-class citizens. They're each getting their base level needs met. So I'll, I'll unpack that a little bit. For an ops professional doing service delivery, um, we need to make sure they're comfortable with the role-based access, the guardrails, the policies that they're putting into place, something as you know, mundane as a naming policy for a VM or an application stack. These are the sure. kind of hey, day in, so. day out you know, things that, that take up a heck of a lot of time and, and work. So for ops, it, it could be a GUI, it could be a command line, um, but it's giving them the, the tools to arrive at that controlled state. For the developer, though, you can't compromise control and governance at the expense of speed and agility. So for a dev team, we want to provide them a, a full fidelity API CLI uh, where they can do anything they want in as code. Um, they can ingest it into, you know, let's say a Jenkins pipeline to, you know, when they submit a new deploy, it kicks off an API that builds a multi-tier application stack so that they can do QA or test or move it into production. So, so, so. so let me stop you there real quick. That, that's kind of where I was looking for. So if I'm a dev and I, I commit my code and it starts in Jenkins build, right, you're going through there and I have a particular stack that would stand up, are you, are you, are your teams, or excuse me, your, your process or your code um, steps between that and a Terraform uh, execution? Yeah, what we see, um, we, we run into a lot of accounts where, where they're, they're already doing some things with Terraform, and right. um, my, our CTO has lovingly created a phrase I, I, uh, I have adopted, which is terrible. It's the combination of Terraform plus Ansible, and I don't mean that in the... <laughs> their, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't mean that they are bad tools. They're phenomenal uh, that's tools. Awesome. But what, we've, what we find is 
oftentimes organizations are are not using them necessarily the way they should. Right. So Terraform's great at building infrastructure, right? It's what it does. Mm -hmm. That's um, what it does, yeah. The Ansible side is taking that infrastructure, laying down a, you know, an OS and managing state on a box. Yep. But if you start to take a couple steps back, what are the other things that you need to do to truly stand up a, an application stack? You need to go get an IP address, register the DNS, you know, configure a load balancer, set up a backup job, configure logging into Splunk, you know, monitoring an app dynamics. Maybe the front end was an ITSM tool like a service now. You cannot, yeah. you can force fit Ansible into a bunch of unnatural acts, or you can maybe use it to do what it was born to do very well, which is manage state and lay down an OS and, and software on a machine. Our view is use the right tool in the right place for the right job right. and create a platform that you know, enables everything to essentially do that right so, tool so, at the right so, time. So people are doing that today. So what you just described, they're doing today in various shapes and forms. So some of the more advanced organizations have that process nailed today. What is it that, that um, you believe is that step up or that, that process that allows them to say, hey, this is what you really should be doing versus stitching this together with a bunch of Python or whatever happens to be the, the code base they're using to stitch what you just said together. Yeah, our our goal, and I think the goal, again, I'll, I'll take it back to any good orchestration platform, should be to uh, balance that need for agility. And if you're designing for right. agility as an end state, you can't do that with a process that results in, in brittleness. The more mountains of scripting and hands-on keyboards you have to glue that life cycle together, then you're back to a, a Brent problem in the Phoenix project. You've right, got right, right, right. Un unplanned work, you've got change control, and what we've seen is people who are over-reliant on manual scripting to, to get their uh, automation in place. Mm -hmm. One thing changes, um, you know, you're set back three to six months. As an example, we do a lot with retail customers, right? Um, you know, Amazon releases a thousand new cloud native services, you know, every reInvent. They're displacing entire industries. If you've built your automation manually around a, an AWS service and all of a sudden you need to move over to Azure because AWS entered your territory, um, if it takes you six, nine months to unpack a thousand Ansible playbooks, that's not maybe the right way to do it. So we try and get, we try and get ahead of things and say, hey, look, let let an orchestrator do the rather mundane but critical pieces of you know what I described IPs and DNS and load balancers by natively talking to those tools, and then insulating yourself from what the endpoint is, whether it's a VMware, a Kubernetes cluster, um, you know, a OpenStack, AWS, or Azure. You, the the more freedom degrees of freedom you have, the easier it'll be to sustain over time. No, and that makes sense, Brad. And uh, let me double click, and then we're going to pivot the conversation here in just a little bit. So uh, you brought up a point, and I've been seeing it in some of the cycles I've been involved with, this emergence of, let's say, a, a disruptor second cloud. Uh, if a certain cloud provider has ent entered the territory or for whatever reason, right, uh, maybe uh, the first uh, alignment wasn't the best, so clients are now looking at, at second uh, capability. Uh, a, are you seeing that play out there? 
And two, um, from your point of view, what's the level of uh, maturity in regards to uh, folks looking at uh, dancing across multiple cloud providers? Yeah, multi-cloud is um, probably as ripe with confusion definitionally as cloud management, the space you know that we, that we play in. Everyone sure. kind of has their own view of what it means. I think the market and, and most customers have matured a lot over the last three or four years. Um, I think it's less about having unlimited freedom to migrate and move mass workloads, you know, from one cloud to another to, to shave a couple of pennies off of your per minute rate. It's more uh, maybe by team, by service, uh, what's the right cloud for a given project, particularly in big enterprises where there's a lot of uh, M&A, you know, you may inherit an entire IT suite that's built around a different public cloud, yet it's all being handed over to the same operations team to, to do the care and feeding. So part of what multi-cloud uh, means for us is back to simplification as the root end state that we're trying to get to. Um, how do you insulate that uh, IT ops guy from having to learn a new set of tools every three months because the game has changed? No, it, it makes sense, my friend. And uh, seeing out there uh, as folks uh, mature themselves, but also now uh, go horizontal across these cloud providers, um, it's uh, interesting to see the skill sets come up, go down, and then uh, the fight for the maturity uh, across all of them. It's, it's been a good, I think, a good opportunity for you know the startup set, you know, Morpheus as well as dozens of others um, today versus you know, 15, 20 years ago, there's a, a much bigger appetite to have a, an agnostic friend in your corner as a, you know, as a Fortune 2000 enterprise because the vendor wars of hypervisors and hardware stacks, you know, it, it's all about control, um, you know, for, for the IT company or the IT organization within the company. They need degrees of freedom and, and having something that's pretty agnostic insulates them from having to having to choose because it's not always a binary decision. There are times and projects where it might be a VMware answer, could be a Red Hat answer, could be AWS, could be Azure. So, no, it makes sense, my friend. So let's uh, pivot a little bit here. Uh, we've talked broad brushstroke, industry trends, all that. Uh, and since knowing you and we've chatted, uh, let's say over the years now, um, the markets move, they move quick, technologies rise and fall. How do you keep it up, uh, keep up with it all? How do you uh, keep your, let's say, geek street cred out there? <laughs> I, um, I was an engineer like 15 years ago. I don't know that I have much geek street cred, but I, contrary to this podcast where I feel like I've talked a lot, I do try and listen as much as humanly possible and I find um, when we're out talking to customers uh, we almost play the role of uh, organizational psychologist as much as anything and really listening to what challenges they're facing on a day-to-day -day basis both on the technology level as well as people in process is where uh, I get my best information keep your you know, keep your ear to the ground as close to the uh, customer pain as possible. So um, talk to the source um, and not just the 
SVP of INO, talk to the guy who, you know, spends two weeks just requesting a, you know, domain join, you know, as part of his process. He knows, he knows what's up. The, um, the space that uh, you and I occupy many days, uh, we, we're, we're often at trade shows. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, and so that's that's usually not the opportunity for most of the folks I run into. They don't get the the, the chance to get exposed to as many um, uh, client-facing opportunities that you or I do. Would you agree with that? I think that's a yeah. Some some um, you know some folks disdain you know booth duty and think of it as a you know puffy marketing thing. I I love the heck out of it. Oh yeah. Nowhere else I can talk to. 500 customers in three days and get up to speed. So no great that's, point, Robert. That's yeah, exactly it's... right. And so if you're, if you're as, an, as an audience person, if you're listening to this podcast, you get the opportunity to get to do booth duty, just jump because you, you are going to be exposed to so many points of view that, and here's the other part, is that, that you have to be open to hearing what they have to say because they may call your baby ugly. <laughs> that's one thing I happen. I know, you know, Brad and I, we've been experiencing maybe ugly comments for a while. <laughs> we talked to, but, uh, I think that's really good at, at, at you know, that, that listening skill. Have you always been a listener or is it something that you kind of had an aha moment one day and say, Hey, I need to keep my mouth shut more often. Um, that's, I'll say one of the good things of going through the big vendor machine, you know, after I left engineering and got into product management, um, there are lots of opinions in the world. And uh, when you're in your 20s and 30s, your opinion matters a lot less than, than others sometimes. So that's true. You, you lose pride of ownership, and I think it does open you up to, uh, to the, the listening. So uh, hopefully I think the, the people that are making these automation cloud management decisions today Mm-hmm. I think they, they came up in a slightly different world than the folks who may have been in the CIOC or the VPC five, ten years ago. So I, we might almost be at a tipping point. I'd love to get your perspective, uh, both of you guys, on just kind of the, the people that you're interacting with. Have you seen that role change around cloud oh. quite a bit over the last few years? Yeah, the bifurcation of staff is, is almost palpable, right? There's... Uh, they're just, and it's a gener- it's almost generational, um, and so you know, just the, all the education that's being delivered today is all cloud-based. All of it's um, fundamentally the 12-factor development cycles, right? Less and less around ITO, more and more around dev cycles. Basically, as you're coming out of school, if you don't know how to code, has just a standard. Like it's like reading. If you don't know how to code. You are you are stepping into a world that's seriously limiting you as a career objective. So, so for example, my daughter's over at a university in the Bay, and Cal, and you know she's a mathematician, but she also knows how to code four different five different languages. But she's not a computer science person, and so it's it's just changing a lot. And everything they do, by the way, is all on a cloud platform, whether it be GCP. Or Amazon, those are the two main ones at the university, like at Berkeley or something like that. Um, so yeah, so you see this whole wave rolling through. What I'm challenged with, Brad, is you know how do you see you know a legacy of code that's in the infrastructure today already on prem, which by any measure of the word is not likely to be refactored or moved to the public cloud. 
how does that world sustain when people are kind of going off the other direction? Uh, and and nor should it move to the public cloud or be refunded. right. I think there's right, right. Uh, you know the eighty twenty rule is is well in effect. The the benefit's going to be done on a lot of the net new differentiating projects um, mm-hmm. or the, the things of highest value to the enterprise. One of the big challenges we we touched on earlier was just the complexity looming down on the poor ITO team, um, and that's where automation as a you know as a tenant of DevOps or just a a survival skill for INO. Automation is the only way you're going to free up incremental time to maintain the care and feeding of the 80% while accelerating the agility and application deployments of the net new 20%. If -hmm. you do not automate it, you will get buried under a mountain of work and nobody coming out of school, to your point, you know, wants to, you know, spend their days, uh, requesting IPs and, and patching systems for a living, right? They want to right. uh, you know, stand up infrastructure, add more value, help their businesses differentiate, um, all, the, all the good stuff. So the people that do that on-prem, that can do what you just said, that gives parity for what's happening in the public cloud, makes it less about the platform where it lies, but more about being able to those, those skills to do what you just said. Yeah, I think for for career, I mean, you touched yes. on earlier. I think career success uh, for INO, whether you're coming at it from the dev or ops side, a having an appreciation of somebody else's shoes, and and b not being too locked into one stack or one tool, but more a philosophy of automation of infrastructure mm-hmm. as code, and being able mm-hmm. to switch syntax on a dime because you're at an organization that might be a Terraform shop versus a CloudFormation shop. But understanding yeah. the, yeah, the yeah. basics and being able to apply those is, it's all about the toolbox. Yeah. Great. And in understanding that, uh, Brad, it's uh, that toolbox uh, will continue to change uh, throughout the remainder of our careers, so uh, don't get uh, don't get too attached to the tool today. It might not be there tomorrow, <laughs> and I can probably guarantee it won't be there in uh, two to three years. <laughs> That's what keeps it fun. Yeah, always it, changing. Exactly. Well, uh, as always, Brad, uh, great to have you on, and uh, great to catch up with you as always. If folks want to reach out to you, uh, what's the best place to do it online? Sure, I am on Twitter uh, at Morpheus Dude. So Morpheus, just like the uh, the movie from the Matrix. Um, or you can catch us at MorpheusData.com. Would love to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. Perfect. And Robert, where can folks track you down these days? Uh, Robert Christensen on LinkedIn. Just type that in, and you'll find me there. Um, as well as uh, at RB Christensen on Twitter. Where you can find me as well. And anybody can email me at hpe at robert.christensen at hpe.com. Perfect. And uh, finally, folks, feel free to connect with me at bradloomis.net, a website with all my socials. And with any questions, concerns, or comments, love to hear from folks out there. So that wraps us up. Uh, please go to www.cloudtp.com for current cloud news, links to this podcast, and more ways to contact us directly. And for cloud news delivered directly to your inbox every Friday morning, visit cloudtp.com forward slash Doppler to sign up for the weekly report. And as always, my friends out there, take care and make it a great day. <laughs> <laughs>